Amen. That is our prayer, isn't it? Open my eyes, Lord. Help me to see. Help me to hear all that you've done for me and how good you are. What a blessing it is to be here. Seems like we skipped spring and went straight to summer. I don't know what's going on. Walked out, walked out the door this morning. Whew, a little too hot for me, but you know how I am. So, looking forward to this morning's message. Enjoyed all the uh, the praise that have been lifted up. Thank you for that song, brother Nick. God is greater than our regrets, isn't He? His mercy is deeper than our sins, and His grace is sufficient. Take your Bibles, if you would, this morning. Let's stand together for the text. I want to go two places so you can have just a little bit of exercise while you're standing there. I'm going to go two places. I want to start out in the book of Leviticus, the book of Leviticus. We've been studying about love. What is true love? We've seen the importance of loving without hypocrisy, right? It's not an act. It's something that should be uh, true and genuine. We saw the importance of loving God truly. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and thy soul and thy strength and all that it says, right? We are to truly love God with all that we are. Last time we looked at uh, truly loving others. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. We looked at what it means to truly love someone else. Those that are around us. And today I want to take the last step in this this sermon series on true love. So let's look at Leviticus chapter 19. Let's look at where Jesus quotes that famous, Thou shalt love the neighbor, thy neighbor as thyself. Where is He quoting that from? He's quoting it from Leviticus. And I want to see if we can give just a little bit more context to some of this. Leviticus, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus chapter 19. And I want you to look at verse 17. Thou shalt not hate thy brother in thy heart, Thou shalt in any wise rebuke thy neighbor, and not suffer sin upon him. Thou shalt not avenge, nor bear any grudge against the children of thy people, but thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. I am the Lord. He says, hey, you're not to hate your brother. You're not to hold a grudge against the children of your people. In fact, you're to love them as yourself. Gives a little bit more depth now, doesn't it? Now, let's go to Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12. We're going to go to verse 9. That phrase we know, let love be without dissimulation or let love be without hypocrisy. But I want you to notice the context. Context is king, right? In all that we see in the Bible. Look in chapter 12 and verse 3. For I say through the grace given unto me to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, according as, as God hath dealt to every man the measure of faith. For as we have many members in one body, and all members have not the same office, so we being many are one body in Christ and every one members of another. He's talking to the church there and their interactions. And verse 9, what does he say? Let love be without dissimulation. In fact, let's keep reading just one or two verses. Abhor that which is evil, cleave to that which is good. Be kindly affectioned one, uh, be kindly affectioned one to another with brotherly love, in honoring, preferring one another. Not slothful in business, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing instant in prayer, distributing to the necessity of the saints, given to hospitality. Bless them which persecute you. Bless and curse not. Rejoice with them that do rejoice and weep with them that weep. Be of the same mind one toward another. Mind not high things, but condescend to men of low estate. Be not wise in your own conceits. You see, when you begin to see what surrounds this this statement in verse 9 that we're studying, it begins to add depth and purpose. While we are to be true, and we'll circle back to a couple of these phrases, while we are to be true to God in our love for Him, while we are to be true to those around us in our love for them, what Paul is talking about here is we are to be true in our love for each other. There's something special about the church, isn't there? And so what I want to finish with today is do we truly love each other. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this day and for the many blessings. Thank you for the ones that are gathered here, Lord. I ask now that you would be with us, move among us at this time of preaching, that you would 
remove the distractions, remove the walls that we have may, built, may have built up and all the things that could get in the way and help us to hear, help us to listen to what your word says so that we might leave here truly loving not only you and others, but truly loving each other. Give me the grace and the strength to say what is needed and nothing more. I ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Have you ever asked yourself, why do you come here? Why do I come to church? Why do I come to this church? There could be some more beautiful buildings. Maybe. (laughs) Not in my mind, but there could be some more impressive buildings, right? Bigger campuses or maybe they have more things. You can find a more appealing experience. If you're looking to be moved, why even go to church? Go to a concert. Go to a sports game. If you're looking for a massive moving experience, you could go other places to get that. Although I've been to, uh, I've been to a couple conferences, spiritual leader con- leadership conferences, where there was a couple thousand people in a sanctuary and. We were singing nothing but the blood of Jesus. It's not, it's an old, old hymn. And there was people shouting amen, lifting their Bibles and praising the Lord. That's pretty moving if you ask me. But you could go other places and find a different experience or go to some place that's more impressive. Why do we come here? There's a couple reasons that come to mind. First and foremost being we believe what Jesus said in John chapter 4 and verse 24. God is a spirit, and they that worship Him must worship Him in spirit and in truth. We come here because we believe this church teaches the truth, biblical truth. Not social truth, not uh, uh, um, the truth of the day or or whatever might be the, the latest fad. We preach what the Bible says. That's why we come here. We do it unapologetically. And if we didn't, I'd be the first one out the door. Let me just say that. No, we come here because we believe... It is a place where the truth is taught, it's founded on, and it practices biblical truth. That's the first. We have to say that. But there's another reason, isn't there? One among many, but one that comes to mind to me is there is a bond that we share here. There is a closeness and a fellowship that we have here that we don't have other places. We're bound together by the communion that we have in Christ, And with each other. We love each other, don't we? We love each other. And it's it's more than a command on paper. Like you could read verse 9 of Romans chapter 12 says, Let love be without dissimulation. And okay, I guess that's what I got to do, so I'm going to do it. I have to love you, so I'm going to say it and be around you and be nice. No, it's more than a command on paper. It's something that involves our emotions, doesn't it? It's an emotional thing, and rightly so. We feel with each other. We are happy to be around each other, I hope. (laughs) If you find yourself saying, i got to go to church today, ah, I guess I better just go, well, there's a problem, either with you or somebody else. But generally, we like to go to church because we like to be around each other. We enjoy each other's company. We worship together, we pray together, we witness together. All that is based on the love that we share in Christ and for each other. Because without Christ, we probably wouldn't know each other now, would we? I'd know Chad and family. But other than that, my brother and my dad. But other than that, maybe not much of you, right? But what has brought us together? Christ and the church and all that He's called us to. And so now we have this wonderful relationship, even though we might not have a lot of uh, things in common outside of the church, we have the most important thing in common, don't we? Christ, and we come to worship Him. And that has built within us these bonds of love. We're a family here with a connection, a bond that runs deeper sometimes than family bonds. We're each other's safety nets. We're each other's counselors, each other's friends, each other's supports. We truly love each other as Christ has loved us. 
Notice some of these phrases Paul uses here in, in chapter 12. In verse 10, Be kindly affectioned one to another in brotherly love. If you could peel back the English and see what sits behind and the, the words that Paul would actually write, this is like lovingly love each other in love. If I could put it that way. Kindly affection is one word. Philostorgos. That's two words for love if you go back to the first one. Uh, a brotherly love and a family love combined in one. And then he says, be kindly affection, love each other with a brotherly love or Philadelphia. That brotherly affectionate love. <laughs> That's a lot of love packed in a, a little statement. But Paul is trying to get us to understand you ought to love and you ought to cherish each other with this deep familial brotherly love. Honoring each other, which means to value each other, preferring one another, which means literally to show the way we're helping each other, we're valuing each other. Is that how you feel about the church? Are you conscience, conscious of the needs? Verse 13, distributing to the necessity of the saints. Are we there to help when one might have a need to, to, to give where giving might be needed? Verse 15, do we rejoice with each other and weep with each other? I know we do. You don't get that with people in your job. Sometimes you don't even get that with people in your family. Hey guys, guess what? Oh, good for you. Yippee. Were you trying to rub it in my face or... Other things might people say, but no, when we come here and we share our joys, what happens? That's good, brother. That's good, sister. I'm happy for you. Brother Nix said he just started a new job. I'm happy for him. That's an answer to prayer. Am I going to sit here and pick it apart and say, well, how come you got that and I, I didn't? You know? No. Praise God. God is working in his life. That's what we do. And then when we weep, we weep with each other, don't we? We feel each other's pains. That's what, it's, that's what this bond is. And that's what Paul is saying. Hey, make sure that love that you share is true. It's not an act. There's something special here. At least that's how it should be. Because let's be honest. There can be problems, can't there? In churches as a general, there can be problems. This love can be set to the side or it can be taken for granted like we expect it or we, we don't think it's something that important or it can be ignored or even absent. You know, one of the things that will wreck a church is fake love. Either a lack of love or a presence of fake love, hypocritical love. And there's been a lot of people that have been hurt by this. So it's vital we get it right, isn't it? It's vital we get it right. If there's ever a place where love should be true and without hypocrisy, and if there's ever people who are modeling and actively living this, it ought to be God's people. It ought to be His church. In fact, we must do this. So I want to talk a little bit about this morning and maybe show some areas to be um, cautious in and some things maybe we need to put in place in our own hearts. And again, first warning right out of the gate. You worry about you. It's so very easy to point the finger, right? Oh, see, look what they're not doing. They're not loving me right. No, 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 no. Because they can do the same to you. We've said that every sermon. No. Where do I fail? Where do I need to improve? You're not God. You don't pick out other people's faults. You repent to God for your own faults. Make sense? So let's see. John chapter 13. How important is this? It's very important. In fact, Jesus himself says so. John chapter 14. We're going to be bouncing around a few places in the Bible. Again, I can't dive in deep. This would be a year-long study if I talked about all the depths of love and how it, how it ought to be in our lives and how much God loves us and all the things that are in the Bible. I just want to give you some things to think about, maybe pray about. John chapter 13, verse 34. He's in the upper room with his disciples. Some things have just happened we'll look at in just a minute. But he says something to them. Judas has gone out now 
He says, verse 34, A new commandment I give unto you, that ye love one another as I have loved you, that ye also love one another. By this shall all men know that ye are my disciples, if ye have love one to another. So Jesus sits them down. Some things have just happened, and He's getting ready to give them uh, instruction, very important instruction. And the first thing He comes out and says is, I want to give you a new commandment. Now, is it really that new? It's not all that new. We just read in Leviticus, didn't we? That we are to love our neighbor as ourselves, and the context for that is your own people too. But Jesus, what He does is He'll take the Old Testament law and He'll elevate it. He brings it up to a new standard. He says, I'm going to give you a new commandment. I want you to love one another, and here's the new standard, as I have loved you. He does that like uh, uh, with, the, with uh, some of the Ten Commandments. He says, you have heard it been said that you, thou shalt not commit adultery. He says, but I say to you, if you even look on somebody else with lust, you've already done it. So he's, he's elevating. He says, I'm going to give you a new standard, a new commandment. I want you to love each other like I have loved you. And Jesus showed us perfectly how much he loved us, didn't he? I've got no doubt how much God loves me. In fact, this follows a pretty important thing. It follows the foot washing. Are you familiar with that? When Jesus gets down and washes the disciples' feet, and we say, oh, how sweet. Oh, how nice. No, it's not nice. In many ways, it's horrible. It's terrible. It is utter humility because Jesus, as He does that, is the Creator and Sustainer of all things. He is the great I Am getting down to, to, to the position of the lowest servant and washing dirty human feet. Showing His love for us. Let me just, let me just say this. There is no room for pride in true love. There is no room for pride in a church. I don't care what you drive. I don't care what, how much money you make. I don't care where you live. I don't care how important the world says you are or are not. The ground is level in the church house. We all got here the same way, didn't we? <laughs> I've been in church my whole life. I wasn't born into it. You may have just come recently. It doesn't matter. We all got here the same way. By the blood and through the water. By knowing Christ and having our sins washed away and forgiven by His uh, sacrifice that was done on the cross for us. His blood shed for the remission of our sins. And then coming through, coming through the waters of the baptismal, committing our life to Him. We all got here the same way. Nobody got a free pass says, oh, you're really good, why don't you come in? Oh, your last name is this, why don't you come in? No. We were all filthy, rotten sinners before we met Christ, weren't we? And then we all got saved by that same grace. And we're all trying our best to serve our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, by that same grace. To worship Him in spirit and in truth. Nobody is better than anybody else. And I include myself in that. Some of us might slip and fall in the mud of this world a little more than others. Or maybe a little more than we ought to. But thank God our Savior is there to stoop down and wash us off. And put us right back on the path. And maybe we ought to get down off our high horses looking down on other people as if we were perfect and love others as Jesus loved us. He washed the feet of Judas. You know, he could have come to him and said, what's the use? Get on out. You're royally messed up, dude. I'm not even going to bother. No. He took the time, knowing what would happen, and still showed him love. 
Maybe it's time we get down and help a struggling brother or sister looking to restore them in a spirit of love and meekness if they're struggling or, or coming alongside of them and offering help. There's no room for pride. Because you and me, we're both going to get a little muddy with sin too, aren't we? And I pray there's a brother and sister there to help us out and pick us up. Why do I point this out? Because I think we got a problem? No, actually I think we do really good here on that. This is one of the few churches I know of that actually has had people stand before and confess sin. This is what I'm dealing with. I'm dealing with this. Some pretty deep things. I need help. Forgive me, brethren. What did we do? Ooh, did you hear that? Can you believe that? Like a kid in high school like we can be so many times. No, what did we do? We forgive you. How can we help? We love you. That's what we're supposed to do. I just point this out that we might be careful because so often this is where we can slip up. Pride is loving yourself and not others. Pride is hypocritical. And if we're going to truly love each other, pride needs to be put out the window. And we're just a step away from it in our human nature. So we've got to be careful against it. Did not Jesus show us his love as he commands us to love each other as he has loved us. Did He not show it and prove it? Oh, there's so much in that statement. Love one another as I have loved you. He was so kind, so patient, so meek, so caring of us or for us. In fact, if you want a listing of all that Jesus is, you could look at 1 Corinthians chapter 13. In fact, I would write that in the margin of your Bible here. How did Christ love us? Look at it. Look at true love explained in 1 Corinthians 13. That needs to be in place. We need to love each other in that manner. In fact, if we do, people will notice. Look at verse 35. By this shall all men know that ye are my disciples, if ye have love one to another. People will see that and notice there's something different. The way those people treat each other, the way they talk to me, the, the joy that's in their hearts, the way they handle these things, there's something different about them. Exactly. It's Christ, isn't it? And He will be seen by the love that we have for one another. By this. He didn't say by all the holy things you do or by how much money you give or by this or that. By the way that you love each other, by this shall all men know that you are my disciples. So let's get a little bit more instruction moving along on, on, on what this love looks like. Because I want to know, right? If it's supposed to be in my life, okay, tell me some more about it. Colossians chapter 3. Go to Colossians chapter 3. It's a little book right there before uh, 1 Thessalonians and 1 Timothy and all that. Colossians chapter 3. Again, such a deep subject, I, I, I want to hasten along, but just look at verse 1. If ye then be risen with Christ, Colossians 3, 1. If ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affection on things above, not on things of earth. See, if we've, if we've come to know the Lord as Savior, and we've asked forgiveness of our sins, if we've trusted in Him as Savior, and then we've committed our lives to Him, I'm going to put away the old man. I'm going to live a new life as part of his people. Some things should be different. Our affections, our love is going to be towards some different things. Different than it used to be. Because we're a new person. If ye then be risen with Christ, set your affection on things above. Look in verse... Oh... Verse 8, but now you put off, you also put off all these anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy communication out of your mouth. There's some things that should change. Look at verse 9. Lie not one to another, seeing that you have put off the old man with his deeds. When we come to know the Lord as Savior, we see that we're a sinner and we see that He died to forgive us of our sins and we trust in Him. It says, Scripture uses terms like being born again and being a new creation. 
that at that moment, I am forgiven of my sins and I am given eternal life. First, uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 5 says, If any be in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things are passed away. All things are become new. There might have been a life I lived before I came to faith in Christ, before I came to trust Him as Savior. Now that I have been forgiven of that and, and my sins have been cleansed, I've got a new life in Him, that old life needs to go. And that's part of what a baptism is about, right? I'm going to now identify with Him. I'm going to live a life that's committed to Him, not myself. I'm going to serve Him with this life. So I'm putting that old man, that old way, to death, and I'm living a new life. The problem is, sometimes we slip back into the old ways, don't we? If there's going to be problems in a church, it's because we're starting to slip back to do the old things we shouldn't do anymore. And Paul says, you've put that old man off and all the deeds of the old man off. Leave him dead. In fact, I, I skipped past it. Verse 5. See the first couple words there? Mortify, therefore, your members which are upon the earth, fornication and cleanness, inordinate. Kill it. Kill that sin that starts to keep coming back up. And you and me, beloved, we've got to be vigilant in our lives. Something starts to come up. Maybe it's those bad thoughts, bitter thoughts, sinful things in our hearts. What do we do? Say it's no big deal? No. Paul says kill it. Kill that old man and keep him dead because you've put him off. Verse 10, and have put on the new man, which is renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created him, where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcision nor uncircumcision, barbarian, Scythian, bond nor free, but Christ is all and in all. Put on, therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, bowels of mercies, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long-suffering, forbearing one another and forgiving one another. If any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. And above all things, put on charity, which is the bond of perfectness. Man, there's a lot of stuff packed in those verses. But basically what Paul is saying is you've put on this new man. The new man with his new way of thinking, the new perspective in life, one that is made after the knowledge of Christ. And so our affection is going to be set on different things, new things. Notice what he says in verse 12. Put on therefore as the elect of God. Did you catch that? As the elect of God, His chosen ones the ones to bear His name, the ones who are called to be His own, ambassadors for Him as we plead with others, be reconciled to God and, and then join with us as we worship Him. We as the elect of God know some things about the love of Christ, don't we? We know the love that God has for sinners because we used to be that sinner. Some of you have come from a life very much different than mine, maybe a life that was more involved in sin. And you can speak to the power of God to change you, can't you? Listen, I was doing some things I shouldn't have and living a life that was not pleasing to God at all, but God loved me enough to save me in those sins. We know the love of God. And so, if we know that, as the elect of God, we are to put on that new man. That love is to be in us. Does that make sense? There's a different way I love now than the world loves. I love with a true love. Not only God, not only others, but you as well. Put on as the elect of God. That first phrase there in Verse 12, put on therefore as the elect of God, holy and beloved, bowels of mercies. That sounds so weird in today's language. You read this, what? What, what is he talking about? Actually, it's very beautiful. It's very beautiful. It, it takes the Hebrew uh, um, tradition of the seat of emotions. Listen, when you feel raw emotions, where do you feel it? Is it in your head? No, it's in your gut, isn't it? 
the, the most raw emotions we feel come from down deep inside of us. And that can be all of them, okay? It could be anger. You ever have be so angry, it's like you're shaking in your core? Or do you ever just look at your family and all, you, you love them, you love them so much, it just, it's in there, right? Oh man, you just, it's hard to explain, but you, you feel these things down deep within you. That's what Paul's talking about. Bowels, these feelings of mercy. Bowels of compassion or pity is, is the word that Paul uses there. You know what this is talking about and how we ought to be with each other? This is a tender heart. This is one that is touched with struggle or touched with the pain of our brothers and sisters. That's what a church should be. Feeling that way for each other. Or are you too busy? You got money to be made. You got jobs to do. You got Facebook to look at. You got this and that to do. Anything else but stop and feel for your brother and sister in Christ. Because that's the thing of the day, isn't it? No. We ought to be touched to our core. When somebody says, hey, pray for me, I'm struggling, we ought to feel it. Because there's going to come a day when you struggle, or you feel pain, or you go through a hard time. And you're going to need somebody to feel that with you, aren't you? And I pray nobody was too busy like you were too busy for somebody else. No, as the elect of God, what do we do? We put on this tender, compassionate heart. I realize how precious these people are and and how much I love them. So when they struggle, I feel it. We rejoice with those that rejoice. We weep with each other when we weep. That's what Paul is talking about. He says, put that on. Let that tender heart be in you. And it's so easy to have a hard heart today. It's so easy to distance ourselves so I don't have to feel those things. And I don't have to sacrifice my time. Listen, if we truly love each other, our heart is going to be moved for one another. So you know what? Let it be moved. Take time and make the calls. Check in on the ones who are struggling. Take time and make the visit. You can miss a couple seasons of your stupid show. You can lose out on a few dollars to help your brother or sister who's laying there asking for compassion. Because did not Christ do the same for us? You love each other as I have loved you. You ever see Christ walking by the road and saying, Whoop, I got no time for you. Heal, be healed and be good and walk on. No, there's a lady who grabs out through the crowd to touch the hem of his garment saying, if I can touch, if I could just touch him, I'll be, I'll be healed. And you know what he does? He stops everything and says, whoa, somebody needs me right now. Somebody touch me. When's the last time you did that for a brother or sister? If not, you need to. Because we are to love each other as Christ has loved us. And if we have a truly tender heart, oh man, you're not going to have to be asked. Maybe the Lord needs to break some, some hearts today. Bowels of mercy, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long-suffering. Isn't that a, isn't that a, a, a description of Christ? Who is so kind and so humble and so meek and so patient with us? Verse 13, forbearing one another. Yep, we're going to have to bear with some things. Now, it's not talking about unrepentant sin. I'm not talking about that. But I'm talking about the little things, if we're not careful, that can get under our skin. (laughs) Believe it or not, cause problems. Maybe it's somebody's idiosyncrasies. Maybe it's somebody's weakness. Doesn't Christ bear with us so much? Lord, I'm sorry, I did it again. Lord, I'm sorry, I did it again. How many times have we said that? You know, 
though he should, God never calls me a moron. <laughs> you know what he does? He forgives me. You know what? We might have to forbear with one another. And what's the next one? Forgiving one another. Too often the human tendency is to hold on to the wrongdoing and the hurts and the offenses, isn't it? That's easy to do. We like to do that. We like to get mad at what somebody did to us and meditate on it and become bitter and hateful. I can't wait till I can get back at them. Oh, they're going to feel my wrath for what they did to me. And they don't mean it when they said they're sorry. They're just doing that to be nice. And that's what we like to do, right? We become very bitter and hateful. Now listen, some things that are said and some things that are done can be very devastating and have lifelong effects. I know that. I'm not minimizing any of that, okay? What I am saying, church members, is that we know better than to act like that, don't we? We know better. I hear people say, say things like, well, I could never forgive them. Or, I can forgive, but I can't what? Forget. Just hold on a cotton-picking moment. You know better than that. You know better than that. How do I know that? Because you are forgiven by Christ, are you not? The one who says, I remember your iniquities no more. In fact, I've removed them from you as far as the east is from the west. Praise God, He doesn't say the same thing about us. Oh, I just can't forgive that. I'll forgive it, Ryan, but I'll never forget it. No, He never tells us that, does He? No. He says, if we are faithful to confess our sins, He is just to what? Forgive us our sins. So maybe we ought to stop being the human Rolodex of everybody else's sins. Ready to bring them up on a moment's notice. And be forgiving. True love is forgiving. What does it say at the end of the verse? If any man has a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do you. True love is forgiving. I heard it said, when we forgive, we are never more like God. And I believe that. When we truly forgive, we are never more like God than when we do that. So, there's nowhere that should be more evident than within His church. Now, I'll put on love, true love, this bond of charity that is... The, the, he says, put on charity, which is the bond of perfection, this bond of completeness. So many good things we don't have time for. This is what we ought to strive for in our life, and this is how we ought to love one another. We do this, and we'll be fine. Christ will be seen. 1 John chapter 3, turn there. How important is this? I mean, is this just a nice Sunday sermon to, to fill time? And oh, good, yeah, I need to love one another more. Okay, I'm going to go on and do my merry little thing. And, you know, if it happens, it happens. How serious is this? 1 John chapter 3, verse 10. In this, or by this, the children of God are manifest in the children of devil. Here's how you can tell between the child of God and the child of the devil. Whosoever doeth not righteousness is not of God. And, or excuse me, neither he that loveth not his brother. Did he just say that? Yes, he did. <laughs> That's pretty serious, isn't it? I serve God. I don't have to love the people. Uh, there's a problem if you don't. You see, John was there. John writes this. And John was there when Jesus gave that new commandment. He was sitting there. He heard it with his own ears. I'm going to give you a new commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. And by this shall people know that you are my disciples, by the love that you have. John's not coming up with anything crazy. He's just wording it a different way than what Jesus said. Because if it's lacking, how will people know? 
then you're just like the world. John writes this 65 years later after he heard Jesus said that. You think he's seen some things? You you think he's seen some hypocrisy? He's saying, listen, this is part of the new nature. This is just what we should do as God's people. If that is not there, there's a problem. There's a problem. Check yourself on this. I love, I love 1st, 2nd, 3rd John. John's not messing around, man. He's not trying to be nice and gentle. He's just speaking truth. This is, this is how you tell between a child of God and somebody who doesn't know him. First of all, they're doing righteous things and they're loving their brother. If that's not there, there's a problem. So we check ourselves on that. Do I love my brothers and my sisters like I should? Let's keep looking. Verse 11. For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. Not as Cain, who was of that wicked one and slew his brother, and wherefore slew him? Because his own works were evil and his brothers were righteous. What happened with Cain and Abel? Well, Cain got convicted because he got called out, right? He knew what to do. He didn't do it. And so God said, hey, I'm not accepting your offering. What happened? Cain got convicted and it led to jealousy and it led to murder. Listen, man, sometimes we get called out. Sometimes there's a faithful brother or sister who's going to come along and say, hey, what are you doing? Hey, this is wrong. I don't know if you've ever had that happen in your life. I have. And I thank God for it. Or will we be like Cain? Will we be like Cain? (laughs) Look at verse 13. Marvel not, my brethren, if the world hates you. We should expect that from the world. We should expect hypocritical love or a love that isn't based on truth, which we are seeing more and more from the world. The world hates us for telling the truth. False churches hate us for telling the truth, but... Nowadays, it's starting to happen where God's people are too. Can I just say that true love is not at the expense of truth, ever? God loves us truly, right? What does He tell us first? You're a sinner. You're not right. There's some things that are wrong and you need to change them. In fact, you can't. Here, let me provide the way that you can be reconciled to me. It would be much easier if God would say, based on the love of today's world, oh, you're just fine. Just, come, just don't worry about it. Just come on in. Everybody's okay everywhere. That's what people say about true love. But the problem is, it doesn't fix a problem. And you know what? God could have told Cain, you know what? It's fine. I'll accept it. But, you know, do better next time. No, he says, you knew what was right, and you knew what was wrong, and you didn't do it. True love is based on truth. Beloved, so is our relationship, isn't it? If somebody here is drinking themselves to death, I'm not going to say, hey, good job, go at it. Or if they're falling into drugs or an adulterous relationship or whatever, anything that the world can draw us to do, I would not be loving if I as a pastor sat back and said, hey, go have at it, it's all good anyways. No, if I love somebody, what am I going to do? Hey, Hold on, what are you doing? Just the same way as if my kid was running to the street in love, I would snatch him back or her back and say, no, stay away. Should we not do that for each other? Verse 14, we know that we have passed from death into life because we love the brother. And it's part of that new nature. How, am I know, how, I know, how do I know I'm a new person? Because I have this love within me that is from Christ for His people. He that loveth not his brother abideth in death. Whoever hateth his brother is a murderer. And ye know that no murderer hath eternal life abiding in him. Wow, those are are huge words. But they're true. I don't have time, but check your own heart. Do you find yourself harboring hate for your brothers and your sisters? And all you can see is the bad through the lens of bitterness. 
Maybe we ought to repent. You are not on the high ground of God's throne to point out how everybody else is a failure but you. No. If your heart is this way, you're on dangerous ground. Verse 16, Hereby perceive we the love of God. How do we know God loves us? Because He laid down His life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. Love is shown in action. And can I ask you this morning as we we move to a close, have you shown your love for your brothers and sisters here? You. Don't go down that Rolodex of how people have failed you. No, 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 no. How have you shown your love? We know God loves us because He shows us, right? Do we do, does our brothers and sisters here know that we love them because of our actions for them? Verse 17, But whoso hath this world's good, and seeth his brother have need, and shutteth up his bowels of compassion from him, how dwelleth the love of God in him? Again, there's that phrase. But do you see the, the picture now? Say we see somebody in need, and it moves us to our core. But we stop that. We say, oh man, they need help. Somebody should do something. But now nah, I'm too busy. I mean, I, I, I've got this and this to do. And the trash has to go out. It's Tuesday night. And the lawn needs to be mowed and this or that. All those silly excuses we put in the way. I should do this, but man, it'll be uncomfortable. And what am I going to talk about? And what am I going to say? In fact, you know what I'll do? I'll tell somebody else to do the things that I should be doing myself. Hey, you know, you should really call. Why don't you call them? How is that love? That's exactly what John's at. John asks. How dwelleth the love of God in him? How is that love? That's not love. That's selfishness. Verse 18. My little children, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. There's a lot of blah, blah, blah that goes on when it comes to love. There needs to be a lot more action. Let's get to it. Let's be careful not to let these things slip. Verse 19. Hereby we know that we are of the truth and shall assure our hearts before Him. He's talking about all that's come. He says, this is one of the ways to know we're walking right with God. If we're loving our brother, we're taking care of our brother. Among many other things he's already said, but he says that's one of the markers. That's how we know we're, we're doing right And our hearts can be assured before Him. Verse 20, If our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart and knoweth all things. I love that phrase. I don't know how this might hit your hearts. I know that I come away from this pretty beat up, studying for this and putting this together. I get the first message preached to me. So I'm sitting there thinking, Oh man, I am so bad in this area. I need to do this. I need to do that. In fact, just this week, I started putting feet to some of the things I have been studying. It was enough talking, man. I've got to do it. And then there's some areas that I feel at peace knowing, okay, I think I'm good there. I don't know how this might hit your heart. Am I saying this is a, a dead, loveless church? No. In fact, I think we've got a very, very strong bond here. All I am saying is don't take that for granted and don't let it slip. In fact, it needs to grow more and more as the days go on. I can't search your hearts, only you can. And so I would simply ask, are you walking in true love today? If you strip away all of your excuses, all of your justifications as to why this or why that, does your heart assure you in the things that we read about? Do you have that tender heart of mercy? Do you have that humble, prideless heart? Do we truly love each other? If not, notice what it says. If our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart. And knoweth all things. God is bigger than our failures. God's bigger than the bitterness I might have in my heart. God is bigger and greater than the unforgiveness I might harbor. And He knows it. You're not hiding anything from God. He knows where you fail. He's waiting for you to see it. Confess it so that He can forgive you, restore you, wash you off, and put you right back 
where you need to be. So if you find yourself failing, God is there to lift you up and bring you where, where you need to be. Love each other as I have loved you. You do that, church, and people will know that you are mine and that I am in you. Let me finish reading you uh, by reading you one verse from Ephesians. We are out of time, but something that's mentioned there. Ephesians 5 and verse 2 says this, Walk in love as Christ also hath loved us and given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling Savior. I love that last phrase. Christ has loved us and given himself for us, right? He died on the cross for our sins and, and offers forgiveness and calls us to be a part of his people. And all that, Christ in his love, Christ in his obedience, all that is a, a sweet-smelling, beautiful aroma to God. And when we walk in love, we are the same. I don't want this place to stink. If somebody walk in here and say, whoa, something's off here. These people do not like each other. There, there's something serious going on. And I can tell they, and they, you can do that in some places. Sad to say. You know what I want this to be? When they walk in those doors, I want it to be a blast of fresh air, just as if you were standing on an ocean cliff. Wow, these people are different. There's something so different here. These people love each other, and they, they treat each other like, unlike anything else I've seen in the world. And I want it to be that way because we are soaked in the love of Christ. And it's evident in all that we say and all that we do. I want people to see it and therefore know they're God's people. Love one another as I have loved you. And by this shall all men know that you are my disciples. As always, that starts with you and me, doesn't it? Look in your own heart. Do you truly love your brothers and sisters here? Is it more than just words and more than just a Sunday? Are we loving as Christ loved us? I pray that we would. Let's bow our heads. Father, we thank you for the love that you have shown us. Love that we have no doubt in. Love that we are assured of in all the many ways that you show us, Lord. I thank you for this body here and all the members the bond that we have here, the friendship and the closeness, Lord. Protect that, please, and help us not to take it for granted, but Lord, help it to grow deeper. So help me in my heart where I failed and where I don't love and where I get selfish. Help me and forgive me there, Lord. And help me to not just speak it in word, but to do it in action. And Lord, you know the hearts of all who are here. So please draw convict where conviction is needed. Lord, even if one does not know you as Savior and has no idea about this wonderful deep love that you would draw them to the cross where you loved us so much you gave us your Son that we might believe and be saved. Lord, whatever the work is, you do it by your Spirit, the work that I cannot do and the, the work that we each know in our own hearts. Lord, even as we come to a time of invitation, I ask that you would do all of these things. Again, we thank you and praise you in the wonderful name of Jesus. Amen. Stand if you would.